What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, doing you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. I help companies discover and articulate their purpose to thread it through culture and operations. I work with organizations to develop inspirational leaders who create cultures where people actually want to come to work and do their best. And I provide programs like the Grab Your Gusto that enable individual team members to discover and unleash their passion and purpose at work to catalyze fulfillment, engagement, and productivity. You can learn more about me and how we can work together at EliseCortez.com or Gusto-Now.com. Let me thank my partner and sponsor, WorkProud. We are a perfect collaboration. Everyone wants to know they matter and that the work they do is meaningful and appreciated. WorkProud helps companies do just that through their mobile platform that is built to encourage employees to share stories and recognize each other's contribution. WorkProud empowers HR and business leaders to help create company cultures where all employees are inspired to feel proud of their work and proud of their company. Check them out at WorkProud.com. With us today are the founders of Ethne, a nonprofit organization that fights poverty and while, and while empowering vulnerable women and children. We have Dalton Duakaran, the founder and president, and Steffi Sunny Duakaran, a co-founder who, all, and who also happen to be married to each other. We'll be talking about the Ethne, how Ethne was born, how it works, and hear some about the programs they've run in service of their mission to empower women and children and save them from, from trafficking and poverty. We're doing the show live together from the Las Colinas Country Club, where we'll be immediately going afterward to an ABTP meeting, where I am presenting my research on modes of engagement and our unique connection to work. Full and fun agenda awaits us both on both fronts. Dalton and Steffi, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Elise, for having us. It's so great. It's so great. We have to, of course, tell the story of how I find my guest. You know, I, I like to do that whenever I can. So several weeks ago, I was here in Las Colinas attending the same meeting for, uh, for, a different, for a different guest, and Dalton is introduced and talks about what, what he's doing at this nonprofit. And so there's about, I don't know, 50 people in the audience, and after the, the presentation is done, I made a beeline for this poor young man and, and put my hand out to go introduce to him. And I'm sure he must have gone like, you know, what is coming at me? You know, it's blowing my hair back here. But I said, I have to hear more about this nonprofit that you're running. Tell me about it. And that's how it began. So thank you for being willing to, to put up with that first, you know, fresh force introduction. Yeah, Elise, I oh, just wanted to say that I leave encouraged and inspired every time I have a conversation with you. And the first one was, it was the same way to me as well. So <laughs> in, thank you for inspiring us. Thank you for being an evangelist for purpose. We all need that very much. Thanks for all you do and having this show. Oh, you're so welcome. So welcome. It should be like that, right? Just Dr. Seuss says that. Um, so let's get into it here. First, I want to get into for the first segment is really where Ethne came from. And one of the things that I'm already intrigued with is you've got a, a tagline that says, true passion finds purpose. I love that, of course. 
Um, and so at Ethne, you and your team stand to use a person's passion as a tool to bring awareness to social injustices and to empower vulnerable women and children. And you want to see women and children of all, all people groups freed and living a life to their fullest potential. Incredible, awesome mission and purpose. So first, how did you arrive at this notion of, of passion fueling purpose? Sure. True passion finds purpose. That's really true. In the same, uh, so I, I lived that story my entire life the past 35 years now. And I've struggled with it and I'm, I can be real about it as well, right? It didn't, it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in a month or two, but it was definitely life's journey. And what really triggered that was getting some second chances in life. And it started in 2010. I swallowed a beetle, or maybe I should say a beetle, just somehow aspirated one while I was on my motorbike. It tore my airway, landed in my lungs, and I was struggling to take breath. I was spitting out blood. I somehow managed to get to a hospital. I was there for three, three days. Finally, they took the beetle, which was poisonous, uh, out of my lungs. And that's the first time I ever thought about purpose. And, well, why am I alive and why, why, why did I get a chance to live and where so many others still you know, don't exist? And it really triggered that thought. And from then, the journey began, actually. And everything since then that I put my hand on, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was converting. If it's something, my passion, it was my work. It's something I'm hanging out with my friends or whatever I did, and I, I felt that there was a purpose to it. And that's where the journey started. And down the lane, even again, I had to go through other chance, second chances, which I got to live. And it was it cancer or other ailments or if it's accidents. And throughout it, it just ignited that passion more and more to convert whatever I put my hands on to something more meaningful and purposeful. Um, and eventually I met a group of friends who were also, you know, contemplating, hey, we have great jobs, we have great families, but our life's not really satisfied and we don't have that joy in living. And what can we do beyond our day to day to five, five, eight to five jobs? And how can we turn our eight to five jobs and even out, you know, our skill sets into something more meaningful? That's when the conversation started with a group of our friends and we decided, okay, this is what we want to do. We're going to take our skill sets, our, our passions, be it finance, be it marketing, be it music, be it art. How can we take those passions and bring those passions to a collective purpose? And I reached out to a few of my friends. They were all on board. And we eventually ended up having an organization formed and serving vulnerable women and children all over the world. And Ethne was born. Ethne was born, yeah. <laughs> okay, so... That's an incredible story. So definitely one thing, you're right. Um, purpose, or passion is absolutely a path to purpose. It's one of at least four known pathways. So I completely agree with you. Um, and that you took that's the notion of, you know, how come I'm still here and what can I do about that? Not just, hey, let's just party for the rest of my life. Let's go make a difference. That's amazing. And I, of course, I applaud that. It's one of the reasons I wanted to celebrate you both on the show. So now let's talk a bit about what does ethne do? What do you actually do to help women and children? So I'll, I can take that question. Um, Ethne primarily focuses on uh, vulnerable women and children. Uh, we um, mainly want to see uh, women and children live a life of freedom. Many of the groups that we work with are often um, in places uh, or in situations where they've been exploited, um, usually due to uh, the fact that they come from very um, 
poor um, backgrounds and it puts them um, at a high risk of being more vulnerable to um, either physical or sexual exploitation. Um, and that's our primary focus is to make sure that these women and children have a um, have a way to sort of um, get out of something that might be generational poverty and really kind of um, live a life of freedom. Mm. Oh my gosh, that is so amazing. I mean, I just, and I, I, I mean, I don't, I'm sure you guys have an idea of the numbers. I wouldn't ask you if you don't know them up the top of your head, but I, I, this problem has got to be enormous. Yes, yes. Um, I, I know that one of the recent statistics that we just kind of know just by are working with groups is that um, more than 700 million people in the world live um, daily on a wage of less than $2. It's actually a dollar and 90 cents. So that just kind of goes to show you that, um, you know, with that kind of an income and the things that they have to compromise on, a lot of times, you know, it's more than just the fact that they're poor. It's that they don't have access to basic uh, things that we have access to, like healthcare or shelter or food, um, education, um, all those things factor into having, you know, a quality of life that is needed to be successful. And that's kind of our focus is to make sure that every individual is um, in a position where they can um, position themselves to be successful, position themselves in a place where they are able to, um, you know, eventually use their own passions and find their own purpose. Mm -hmm. And we believe that you can only do that once you, you know, have a basic level of security. Mm -hmm. Maslow's hierarchy of needs would say that. We'll hear about that later tonight when I give my presentation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and how uh, that lands for me is helping individuals to really realize their best potential, their best lives. Um, yeah, and the thing is, you know, most of us don't get there alone. We, we need help, and, and some of us need more help than others. So what I find even more amazing about this, ladies and gentlemen, who are watching and listening, is that, you know, it's not like these people are just running this organization full-time. They actually have two very separate big careers themselves. So can you each share a little bit about what else you're pouring yourself into? What else takes your time and passion and talents? Sure. I work for a company called Salesforce. I'm the director for industry advisor for global healthcare and life sciences. So I have been in healthcare for the last 16 years and I am a nurse by trade and I started my nursing journey in India and I experienced firsthand the struggles, not just of patients, but also for about healthcare providers and, and the struggles that they have to go through, uh, the nurses or other staff, doctors. And I decided that I need to get out of India and learn from some of the very best around the world. That's why I made a, took a huge decision to, to get out of my, India, my own country, and to go explore what's happening in other parts of the world. And in fact, that opened up my eyes to a lot of different things. But coming from India, seeing poverty all around, seeing abuse all around, um, I always wanted to go back and help or give back when I get to a better place. But that learning journey eventually led me to learn more about healthcare. And today, I get to help companies and organizations, nonprofits and for profits around the world, and it's such a privilege. And taking that passion of mine to be in healthcare and carry that to the nonprofit work they do. It really is, a, is, is so rewarding to see that, and it took me a while to get there, right? And you know, whatever I do at work, and that converts automatically to the passion I do outside of work. Mm-hmm. And the journey just culminating at one point is, is, is being beautiful. 
Mm-hmm. There's a lot of synergy in that. That's really yeah. it's fantastic. It's not like it's competing. It seems like they're, they're each energizing the other. Yeah, absolutely. It's so great. Um, and I work as a clinical pharmacist um, by trade, and I really enjoyed it as well. I think it um, kind of gives, uh, when you're in healthcare, you kind of, I think, have to be a little bit um, the type of person that, uh, you know, has good listening skills and is a little personable. So I really enjoy uh, meeting patients from all age groups and um, just really being kind of like the mediator um, there to to help them consult with them and anything that they need, you know, professional advice on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, again, you know, a, another full, full life here. And then the fact that you're actually working with, you know, friends, I think it's so beautiful that you've created something, an entity where you can serve with friends and grow with friends. I mean, that's magnificent. Sure. Yeah. The, the idea behind all that was actually, you know, I'm passionate about healthcare. So has been in healthcare, but she also writes, and she does spoken word, she does poetry, I did music and arts. And whenever I got a stage, I started uh, catering people's attention towards social injustices. I didn't need the money out of music or anything because I already had a good job. But now how can I leverage that passion? And when I get a chance to tell the world something, okay, how can I point their attention to something else? And we met like-minded professionals who are equally passionate about finance, passionate about marketing, cybersecurity, and operations. So our team, they're really doing really well in their corporate jobs. Everybody are volunteers in the team. Mm-hmm. But when we came together, something extraordinary happened. Hey, mm-hmm. now we can leverage each other's skills to, to find meaning and also leave a bigger impact than each of us individually could ever do. That's this that's the sum is greater the whole is greater than the sum of its parts concept. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, finally, in this last segment, I wanted you to talk about uh, the significance of the name Ethne. Say more about what that means. It's pretty fantastic. As I mentioned, I migrated here in 2011. Steffi came here much before that. And coming from India is a very diverse place. Hmm. And moving to America, again, wow, it's not not just Americans or Indians, but people from all over the world are here. And this this country has paved... Uh, such an opportunity for all people groups. And I, and the, the most beautiful thing that I've enjoyed here in this country is to meeting people of all ethnicities, and uh, regardless of their color or their education or their status. It's like, it's so diverse. And the word ethne means people groups or nations. And that was just so close to my heart that, hey, I want to cater to all people groups, you know, and we, at the end of the day, it's the same blood that runs in all our bodies, we just human beings, right? Mm. And we cater to people, even though we run a business, at the end of the day, the key stakeholder are the people. And that's that's the driving force behind the name as well. And I wanted the organization to reflect who we are, and it's just, it's people groups, and it's, everybody's welcome. And we want to cater and empower people groups who are marginalized and underserved, uh, and we want to make an impact there. That's who we are. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So happy to share with, with, with my audience. And on that note, let's grab our first break. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We're on air with Dalton Devakaran and Stephanie Sunny Devakaran, the founders of Ethne, a nonprofit organization that fights poverty while empowering vulnerable women and children. We've been talking a bit about how it was born, what, what got it what, what it took for it to be brought into the world. After the break, we're going to talk about how it actually works. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Interesting. So welcome back to Working on Purpose. Before we get back to the program, I'd like to invite you to check out my book that came out last November. It's called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and Elevate Cause. It's on Amazon. I wrote it to awaken readers to their passion and purpose and help transform them into inspirational leaders who enliven the workplace and elevate the contribution of business for all of its stakeholders. And I use this content as a basis for my vitally inspired leadership and my Grab Your Gusto programs. If you're just joining the program now, my guests are Dalton DeBacharin and, and Steffi Sunny DeBacharin, the founders of Ethne, a nonprofit organization that fights poverty while empowering vulnerable women and children. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back. So for this part of things, I want to dig into just really how Ethne works. And one of the things, of course, that we understood as we, we came in and you, we began talking about this, I understand that the focus is on addressing the problem of poverty. That's your big focus. Why poverty? Um, yeah, so... Uh, at Ethne, what we like to say is that poverty is um, a, a double jeopardy cause, which pretty much means that uh, a, a group in, um, incurs disadvantages from poverty um, in more than just one way. And not only are they uh, financially at a bad place, um, but it also um, limits their access to, just like I said, basic necessities like education, nutrition, shelter, um, you know, things that people need just to you know, advance in life. And um, oftentimes um, the groups that we work with, it's not just, um, you know, one individual, it's actually a a generational sort of thing. Um, And it really um, limits them uh, to not just that person, but, you know, for their children and their children's children. Um, So that's kind of um, the main focus is to somehow find ways to break this uh, generational poverty and um, even if one person out of that family is able to find um, a more sustainable career or a you know a, a more sustainable um, occupation then they can be that rescue for their family and and eventually make sure that they're not in a position where they would be um, a high risk um, group that would be um, you know, more exposed to other kinds of exploitation. Mm-hmm. I would add that freedom is really important to our organization. We want to make sure that people are living in freedom. And poverty is one of the primary reasons that people can't live free. And it leads them to one thing or the other. One of the evils that we fight is trafficking, human trafficking. And the other is labor trafficking. And it's because people are not having enough opportunities either to educate themselves about what freedom is and how how to live to their fullest potential and what limits them to generational curses of pop, you know, what, what poverty is doing them and, and it leads to generation after generation. And that's what we want to break, that 
bondage of people not living in freedom, and how how can we empower women and children and men as well? You know, primary focus is women and children, but even men too, to live a life to their fullest potential and to live free. Amazing. Um, and the way you do it, this is what I thought was so interesting reading the website, ladies and gentlemen, is that I understand, um, you know, that the, the team at Ethname use sensitization sessions, research, awareness campaigns, rescue teams, you liberate victims from dangerous or impoverished conditions where their unfavorable circumstances may be exploited by predatory measures. So just listening to some of the actual things that you do is really interesting to me. So tell us more about how you use these programs, Sure. these measures. So the first and foremost, we work together with our partners and like-minded organizations to identify populations who are at risk. And before even jumping into some sort of interventions or implementing what we think is the right programs, we do a thorough analysis of the situation. We do a needs assessment. And from that needs assessment, we kind of find out, obviously, we want to fight poverty, but we're really fighting the consequences of poverty in those places. That could be lack of education. That could be lack of uh, lack of enough resources in those communities. One of the examples is like it's, it's in, in these communities that we serve. There might be a person coming into these families and telling them, "Okay, your child has nothing. You don't even know that this child would survive the next two months because you don't have access to food or healthcare." And we would give your ch- children a better place or a better opportunity if they come with us and go outside uh, of your village or community. And eventually they end up trapping these kids into labor trafficking or oh, human trafficking. Okay. And that's loosely because parents are not really aware of what's going on in those communities. They're not educated enough, right? Or neither do they have a means of earning an income that would put food on the table for these kids and opportunities for education and a better life. So what we really do is we do the needs assessment and we identify target groups where we can really have an impact and then we put our programs in place with the help of our partners. We don't do a lot of rescue ourselves, but we seek the help of our partner organizations who do rescue. And then we come on full hands when it's time for rehabilitation or vocational training. And some of the key areas that we focus is one is healthcare and shelter and education and vocational training. We want to make sure that the vocational training part is sustainable, that we don't have to go and help them all the time, and that we are not pouring our money over and over again for the same class, but they are empowered, and we have we implement sustainable programs so that the generational curses are broken. It's just so much to take on. It's amazing. Okay, so uh, I know you work with your partners, but the other thing I, I wanted to talk to, so you just said now that you know, you work with partners with the rescue piece of things. So I think it's interesting that you talk about how you rehabilitate survivors by providing shelter, basic necessities, as well as medical and nutritional needs, which you kind of said, and then a safe place as well. Um, while they also get counseling, health services, legal aid, adult literacy, identity documents. I mean, this is amazing, just the sheer volume of things that you guys do. Yeah, so um, with our work, we've, we've um, kind of realized that not everybody needs the same things. Um, and we, we really want to make sure that instead of um, kind of reinventing the wheel, that's why we like to work with partners who are like-minded, so that we know that if, um, you know, some religious like Dalton was sharing really just need a good, thorough, um, you know, exposure to human trafficking, because they get people telling them, you know, one thing, but it's really something else is happening. And then once you uh, 
get you know really the village chief and people that are higher up understanding that this is not what's you know they're lying to you then you really see kind of a difference in the community and so some some places just need um sort of a prevention and um, you know prevent preventative methods while others we um, have a home that we support uh, for girls and um, there are kids in there whose uh, moms I mean who still have parents who come visit them um, you know once a while but the, they're not in a position to kind of take care of them so they've left them at these homes and it kind of ensures that these children are brought up in a circumstance different than what their parents had to go through you know and they leave them there because they're aware of that themselves like they know that my child is um, better taken care of and following a different path here than they would be if they were with me so um we have safe places like that we also do um, locally we do some mending groups um, um, that actually happen for women um, outside of uh, shelters that are not living in shelters so we do groups where they can come and they can sort of um, just be themselves and have a safe place for them to really talk about all the tra- trauma that they've gone through um, without anybody being there to just judge them but just to walk them through um, sessions where they um, start the process of healing um, and it, it doesn't happen overnight, you know, it takes a lot of um, work uh, to kind of um, start that process. But um, so we, we just kind of focus on um, needs and just make sure that our resources are being used wisely so that, you know, we can help as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a big, big evil, you know, that we alone can't really tackle that problem. So that's why we, we really partner with like-minded organizations to do that not just in countries like India, but even here locally. And um, it's it's so prevalent here as we speak in, in our backyards, right? Um, recently, we did a project where we, have, we we are still supporting rehabilitated a few men who were being trafficked from a third world country. What happened was they were brought in here for uh, cheap labor. They were paid less than two or three dollars a day and asked to sleep in construction sites. Mm-hmm. And they were brought to our attention, and we are partnering with the local nonprofit here. And with that name, we're actually teaching them now English. You know, teaching them financial literacy. And Steffi leads those uh, programs uh, for teaching them English as well. And we we're bringing all these resources together for them, so that now they are empowered, and that their next generation would not have to go through this. And they they have a sustainable job. They have something that they can. Um, a skill set that they can apply and earn an income, but at the same time, they're also aware of what's happening in the world around them. You know, that's, I appreciate that you brought up that specific example because I was interested in hearing about, you know, how it is that you work with vocational training. So, because um, it, it, it's, you know, definitely the language thing is huge, right? Mm-hmm. That is a game changer when people mm-hmm. learn the language of wherever they're living. So, that's beautiful. Hats off for that. I, I have taught English as a second language and it's hard work. Yeah. It really is. Well, the other thing that, that I that I saw that you do is you you ensure that that protection there's protection and well-being by promoting good health and nutrition as well as facilitating education and life skills. Tell us more about that. Sure. Yeah. So, I feel like sometimes we are spread so thin across all these areas because these are like massive projects, and sometimes we are ourselves are overwhelmed. So we're only three years into the nonprofit space, and we're so proud of the work that we have done so far, and. 
uh, when we say healthcare and all that side, we really didn't have that in mind when we started uh, at Penang. And we soon realized that's something very crucial for the well-being, overall well-being of anybody, right? And it really triggered, the project really took off during COVID. And especially when the second wave of COVID hit the nation's round. And we realized that so many people um, in these developing nations are under, um, they, don't, they don't even have proper resources to get proper health care. And they are just dying on the streets and they, they are, they're lying on floors outside hospitals because they can either afford them or there's no, no facilities available around. And that's what, when we had to step up and say, okay, we're going to help in this area as well. And it was really overwhelming in the beginning. It was like, where do we go for the funds? Well, how do we implement these programs? <laughs> but again, you know, it's just that a passion stirring inside us. We need to help. And it's just taking that first step and helping one person at a time. And then it becomes two, then it becomes 20, then it becomes 200. And then we come up, we put a program around it. And when we ask people, okay, come, come along, send in help. And it's just taking one step at a time, one day at a time, and just meeting the needs of people. Uh, sometimes we feel that all these activities may not help us focus on what our mission vision is, but again, at the end of the day, whatever the mission is, is to serve people. It's to make lives better for everybody. It's brilliant. You know, I, I often, when I'm out speaking to people, I, I often use a, a question to get people to pay attention to what I say. And I open with, what will you do with your one precious life? It seems to me that you're doing something pretty spectacular with your one precious life. It's really wonderful. Let's grab our, our next break here. I'm Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with uh, Dalton Devakaran and Sunny, or Steffi Sunny Devakaran, the founders of Ethnade, the nonprofit organization that fights poverty while empowering vulnerable women and children. We've been talking a bit about what the organization does. After the, after the break, we're going to hear more about these campaigns and their results. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. One other bit of news I want to share with you is that the anthology I have been curating working on for the last two years is now out. It was out in, in August. It's a collection of 25 stories from women across the globe who share the intimate details of finding their purpose and what they're now doing to serve from it. It's called Passionately Striving and Why, an anthology of women who persevere mildly to live their purpose. And you can find it also on Amazon. I'm so excited about it. I'm proud of it. I could bust. If you're just tuning in, my guests are Dalton Devakaran and Steffi Sunny Devakaran, the founders of Ethne, a nonprofit organization that fights poverty while empowering vulnerable women and children. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So for this last segment here, what I really want to get into is hearing about some of these campaigns that you have put out into the world and their results. And so I, if, we, if we can go in a certain order here, I, the Afghan aid campaign sounded amazing. You were trying to raise 5,000 to assist re- refugees Keeping in mind what's been happening in Afghan, and this is 
October of 2021. So talk to us about that campaign. Sure. So I think it's been so prevalent in the news. But until you encounter these families face to face, you really don't know the depth of what they go through mm -hmm. and what they're facing. Yeah. So one day after working out at the gym, I happened to drive by Kroger to pick up something. And I see a young family, a husband, wife, and their probably the kid was seven years old. And they are standing um, in the parking lot asking for help. And I just stopped my car, I parked my car, and I walked up walked to them just to, just to hear their story and what they were going through. They were healthy people. They, they, they felt like... I felt like they're, they're smart, they're good looking, they're healthy, but I just weren't, in, but they had the board which said needed help. And I walked up to them and I soon realized that they didn't speak English. And I started <laughs> talking to them in actions, name, where, and I was so limited to have that conversation. But one thing that they showed me, I understood what they were trying to tell me because they were tapping in their stomach and said, you know, the basic message, they, they were hungry, they, they needed food. And I didn't know their story, and I usually don't give money to people who I don't know. It's just being me doing diligence to whatever that I'm blessed with, right? But I realized that they needed food, and it's like, why don't you come with me to Kroger inside? And, and I said, let's go, let's go, Kroger. And then they walked with me, uh, and uh, the lady and the son came. The husband still was outside asking for help because he didn't want to lose. It was kind of getting dark, and you know, probably they wanted to make a few bucks to survive that night in a hotel or something. Uh, so as soon as I walked in, the first thing when she was looking at, passing the aisle, she was looking at the shampoos and the, the soaps. And they were like, maybe, and she was like, can I get one of those? And she picked up the smallest little, the tiny little bottle there. It's like, how, how long do you take the big one so it'll last you for long, right? And I was like showing all these actions. And, and every time they walked by something, they would look at it and then they walked by is looking at the price. Mm -hmm. And I felt in my heart, man, it's, it's not just for her, it's for her son, it's for her family. And, and anyhow, you know, I walked with them through whatever they needed, got out, and then I really was intrigued by the story. And the, the language barrier was huge. I couldn't really understand what they were trying to say. But one thing, actually, he pointed, at the end of it, he pointed uh, uh, my attention to his feet. Uh, at one of his foot, there was, there was, he was actually being tracked by the American government because he was a refugee and he had this smart alarm or a tracking device attached to his feet. And that, that, that's one of the things they have, first of all, they're here seeking help, but they're being tracked for everything and they don't have the money, they don't have the resources. And they have come through a lot of, uh, what do we say, tragic situations. There's so much of PTSD uh, involved in their lives. And, and they needed the counseling and much more they needed all these resources. And as I said, like we sometimes spread ourselves so thin, but at the end of the day, we want to help people. So this was a small campaign to help with people who we come across and we feel that we could make a direct impact and help with immediate resources or, you know, point them to the right resources for a long-term rehabilitation and make sure they are also successful in this country. Mm -hmm. So the idea was to raise 5,000 and do what with it? to help them connect with the right resources okay. and to do case management and also give them grocery kits for new families who are coming um, settling down in the Dallas Metroplex area. Okay, and how did the campaign go? It went really well. You know, it was during the North Texas uh, Giving Day yeah. and we haven't still received the money from them because it was just a couple of uh, weeks ago. 
So once we get that money, we'll either distribute it to the supporting local nonprofits or we'll directly work with families when we have it. Wow, that's so gorgeous. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, when you're out and about in your everyday life, you, there's lots of ways to be able to lift your gaze and see where you can help. And that what I know as a local therapist, when we help and serve other people, it actually makes, it's better, it heals us. It's that self-transcendence that actually makes us, it taps into our well-being or activates our well-being. So it's really good to do. You guys just do it over the hilt. Um, okay, what about this 5K for India? Yeah, so the 5K for India was actually a campaign that um, we usually like to do one big event. Um, and in last year, we didn't get to really do one because of COVID. So this year, when we were thinking of everything that was going on in India, the horrific um, you know, stories we were hearing about um, deaths caused by the pandemic due to a lack of really a healthcare infrastructure, we really wanted to help in some way. and. Um, we wanted to make it as safe as possible if we were going to have an event. So, um, Dalton, um, we were back in the day, we had thought about doing a 5K, just a general one for our organization, but we thought, hey, let's just um, do a 5K for India. And, and we literally named it 5K for India. And we picked, I mean, we picked India mainly because we we had trustworthy um, partners there that we knew that if whatever funds we did provide would reach to the right resources. Sometimes when you work with third world countries, um, things like, you know, get, getting the money at the right place, um, having to navigate politicians and all those people involved uh, can be a little tricky. So that's why we primarily focused um, on India. But um, it was actually a really, really great event. We ha- ended up with, um, I think, about 550 people participating. Wow, that's awesome. Um, and it was um, at the White Rock Lake in um, Dallas, and it was a beautiful day. We had perfect weather, um, and we had such a great turnout, and people just really showed up. Um, and it was a great experience just to come together. For a lot of people, also, they haven't you know really come together for an event in a while. So just to bring that sense of community and to show that you know if we really come together, we can you know raise. A- funds and um, kind of collectively work towards helping people that are really suffering. You know, um, one thing that me and Dalton, both having that healthcare background, it really kind of opens your eyes to, um, you know, you know, some people say like, all it takes is a small virus to really show you um, all the flaws in your own healthcare. I mean, even in America, in some ways, um, you know, flaws in the healthcare infrastructure. So think of how much worse it would be for third world countries. So we were, that was something that we were really proud of how well it went. We were able to really make um, a great impact. We were able to ship out ventilators, um, you know, oxygen um, tanks and you know, a lot of constant, yeah, and, and a lot of grocery kits to people that really needed help. Um, and it was, it was really a great experience for our team. We literally uh, put together, usually, um, professionals told us that a 5K takes about six months of planning. Um, I think we had 20, we did it in 28 days. Uh, of course, you did. And it was, it was a lot of work, but we had some really good people to help us. And we did it in 28 days because of the need. Uh, yeah. And the situation was so dire. We yeah, really so dire. Matter. And the personal story that connects back to me is again, my sister who lives in India. She was diagnosed with COVID. She has two kids. She had to lock her kids up in the house. and go to find a hospital which where she could get oxygen and she waited eight hours to get a bed and she was 
terrified. Her, her husband was terrified. We all were scared. Like, what's going on? We had the money to provide, I mean, to pay for the hospital, for the physicians. We had people who were in administrative uh, leading organizations and health, healthcare organizations. We knew them personally. Still, none of them could get them to bed. And she struggled to get oxygen for eight hours. And for me, I was like, if someone who has all that uh, resources, the money, the, the influence to get to a place, to get basic necessity of oxygen, and we couldn't get that. What are the millions of people who don't have that there? What are they doing? And they were like, without a second thought, we were like, we're gonna help. And, and I told my team, we have to do something. We didn't know what to do. Well, what I did is I just went randomly walked into a ventilator shop here locally in Dallas who make, makes ventilators for army and for battle battle fields. And I, I went to them and asked, how much does it cost? I was like, can I take a video with these thousands of ventilators sitting here? Can I take a video that these are available? But it's not because we don't have ventilators available that people are dying. It's because none of them are, are stepping up. And I mean, collectively together, purchase these or provide these to the people and they're dying. So that's where our campaign really started. Me just walking randomly into a ventilator shop and it kicked off. And we, we raised within a matter of less than a month, we raised close to $200,000. And not just the money that we raised, but there was a lot of donations that we given in terms of oxygen concentrators, ventilators, uh, grocery kits. And, we made a big impact. We saved lives. Uh, we we brought joy to families. We uh, we helped people when they thought they were dead. That was the last resort. There there had nothing else in front of them. We provided hope. Um, and we're so proud of the work. And I'm so proud of the team. And you know I could only do a little bit, but you know it's, it's the team that makes it happen. I'm so proud of Team FNA and how we came together to to really help in, in such a situation. So two questions. One is, when was this race? Because I, did, I didn't know about it, and I would have loved to have done it. <laughs> yeah. When was it? July 26th. Okay, got it. And then the second question is, are you going to do it again next year? Yes, we, we want to, yeah. yeah. We'd love to have a you know 5K for just general ethnic fundraising purposes. I think it's a great, great way to bring the community out. Absolutely. Um, and I live by White Rock. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. People love, I mean, it's a beautiful place. And uh, people just like, um, I think I think that's one of the things that the pandemic has done. It's just like whenever people get an opportunity to come together and people were just really like, and I, I didn't know how much I missed this until now. Like now, you know, it feels so good to be out here mm -hmm. and just um, together. So yeah, we would love to do it again, hopefully. Okay, because yeah. I've I've done races. I've put on races before. When you have that repeat effect, it really makes a big difference. Yeah, People absolutely. go, we got to run that race because it's for this cause. Yes. And even if the cause was catering to India, people here enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. like people mm -hmm. came out and told us, "Hey, we haven't been out in a long time. This is awesome." And we really loved meeting people, and we really loved connecting back into the community. And that that itself is, you know, it's very refreshing and it's very rejuvenating for people. We loved hearing that from people, and also the fact that we asked volunteers to come and join the class. And there's this one lady named Sheba, who led, who was the race director, and she she told us, "Thank you for the opportunity to make an impact." And she literally within a span of 20, 21 days. She went and got the approval from the city. She she ran the whole project. She got the race uh, 
uh, you know, all the chips ready and the t-shirts and the marketing and getting the sponsors. And it was just beautiful to see someone blossom and come out of nowhere and, and say, no, I'm ready to volunteer. And for her herself to make that big impact uh, in the community and, and for herself, too. it's life, life changing, not for the people who receive it, but for the people who run it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not volunteering, you're in charge. And as you are in charge, you literally probably watched her molecules change and grow up before your very eyes, didn't yeah. you? How amazing. That's the work that I get to do. It's amazing. Um, all right. You said a little something before about the COVID relief, but say a bit more about the campaign and what you did around COVID relief. Yeah. So I think COVID relief and 5K for India sort of all kind of came together. Mixed okay. together. Because initially when we were doing the COVID relief, we didn't really have an event per se because we were still trying to be as socially distancing as possible. So we were just kind of um, doing a virtual campaign with COVID relief, trying to um, reach out to our donor base and um, Dalton was on the news a couple of times <laughs> so he got to kind of share his story about his sister and why you know it really um, it was such a something that really struck a chord with us and um, and then from that kind of was born the 5k for India the event okay. itself and so it all kind of was in this very short time span but um, I think it was um, one of the most fruitful um, campaigns that we've had just um i think sometimes Jonathan says like you just have to go for it you know you just uh, think sometimes when you're planning a lot we have we have planned a lot for certain campaigns and even though they have been successful but i think this one was just we were all on kind of like felt like we were on steroids and so we were just kind of like you know going for it and um, it really worked out and it was it was really successful campaign and it didn't stop there right what happened was we understood all the flaws that's in healthcare infrastructure and developing nations. So what we did is, you know, I took my experience at work taking technology. Now we're implementing technology in rural villages where people can come and access a doctor. Mm. Doctors can listen to heart sounds, lung sounds, do ear exams, mouth exams, literally not being present uh, physically, but virtually from anywhere. So we piloted their project in a couple of villages where people have not seen a doctor in their lives before. And the pilot is going really well. And in the future, we hope to expand it, not just to developing nations, but even in rural areas in the U.S. Mm-hmm. We're, we're wanting to take the technology and the platform and the work that we did uh, in India to other parts of the world to make sure that everybody has access to healthcare. <sighs> slightly ambitious, I would say. Just yeah. slightly ambitious. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I could say it's just too bad you guys aren't more ambitious. Yeah. Um, so we're coming to a close here, and I want to hear from each of you. Um, you know, first, just quickly, what what are you each proud of? What are you really proud of in this work that you get to do? I think I'm just really proud of um, how far we've come along. Um, I I think literally sometimes when I tell the story, I remember I remember um, I was in the shower shampooing my hair, and Dalton was like, uh, you know, he was uh, from outside the bathroom. He was just like. I think I want to start a nonprofit. I think I really want to help people. And of course, you know, in I can't my, hear you. I can't hear in you. My, <laughs> in my mind, I was like, yeah, that sounds okay. We can help people. Sure, we want to help people. So I was like, yeah. And I think Dalton literally went and said, Googled, how do I start a nonprofit? And that's kind of how I think we, uh, you know, in some ways it's kind of funny. But um, in in the last two years since we've been, I think we've done some, some tremendous work and we've come so far. And I'm just really proud of um, our team and um, how they've all kind of, you know, um, supported us in this journey to really make a difference. Um, 
awesome. We're so close to being out of time, but just say 10 seconds. What are you proud of? True passion finds purpose. <laughs> Way to finish. And I get to live that. Way to finish, guys, Dalton and Steffi. It has been miraculous. Can I say something more? Yeah, just very quickly. If, if you haven't read Elise's book, it's about <laughs> passion and finding your purpose. I highly recommend that. And the second one that came out with all the amazing stories of women that have taken their passion, their skills, and found purpose through their struggles they have given back to the communities. And it's just a phenomenal read. It would be life-changing for you. So please make sure you grab copies of those books. So lovely. Thank you, guys. That's beautiful. You're so welcome. And listeners, viewers, if you want to learn more about this amazing couple and the work that they're doing with their team, go to their website. It's ethne.life. Let me spell it for you. It's E-T-H-N-E dot life, L-I-F-E. And thanks again to our partner and sponsor, WorkProud, which helps companies build a platform where your workforce receives meaningful feedback. And thanks for their work from people across your company. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch up your recorded podcast. We are on with Lisa Gable, the author of Turnaround, How to Change Course When Things Are Going South. We talked about how her four simple steps process or four process steps help leaders inter- navigate their businesses with fluidity in the constantly changing marketplace we find ourselves today. Next week, we'll be on the air with Uni Torrentini from Norway, talking about the work she is doing to address the loneliness problem in the world by increasing our relational energy. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose. Oh, 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 o